The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, January 20th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Welcome again to the Sunday morning gathering of Redemption Hill Church. My name is Raymond and I'm one of the pastors. And I don't know if we've told you yet as I was on my way in here. But some of, you, some of you know that I share a birthday with my wife, Heather. Now, she's back teaching right now, but I share a birthday. November 10th is our birthday, so if you want to mark that in your calendars or whatever, that's fine. You don't, we're not expecting anything, but it is. We share a birthday. But did you know that Robert Greene, you know, our primary teaching pastor here, those of you who have been here for a while, you're accustomed to hearing him at this point, but did you know that Robert Greene shares a birthday with Redemption Hill Church itself? Did you know that? Yeah, no, no, no joke. Robert, Robert, to, did you know that that was today? Yeah, so, so Lord, thank you for Robert Green and just, uh, you know, what, what you've done through him over these last 11 years and just how much we've... Uh, thank you for his wife, Erin, their family and everything. God's really used that family to do something special here in starting this church. It's been 11 years to the day, all right? So you can, you can certainly show Robert and Aaron some love throughout the day and let them know what, what, what it's meant to you if you've been here for a while, you know? And I just, I just thought that was a great thing to point out this morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 John. 2 John. We're going to continue to do what we've always done here for 11 years. We're going to open the Bible. We're going to read it. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what it means and to apply it to our lives. You're not going to get anything new this morning. You're going to get what we've heard from the beginning. In fact, you'll, you'll get that as we read. Now, here's what I hope to happen over the next half an hour. I want us to read the first part of John's letter here, 2 John. I'm going to read verse 1 down through the, the very first part of verse 7. But I hope to spend most of our time in verses 4 through 6. We covered verse 1 through 3 two weeks ago when we last met. By God's special help, we will actually make it out of verse 4. <laughs> All right, so the pace of the Christian life, as we'll see, is often referred to as a walk. The pace of a Redemption Hill sermon, well, it's even slower than that. So let, let's, let's be ready for what God wants to do. Let me pray for our time, and then we'll, we'll read the Scriptures. Lord, thank you so much again for bringing us together on Sunday morning like this. You know, after last week... And the weather, we, we don't take this for granted as much this morning. We realize that this is really a special thing where we get to come together like this and, and at, at the same time really listen to your scriptures and hearing your voice guiding us. It's a, it's a privilege and we thank you for it. We ask that you would do it now. That miracle you do so often that we almost forget it's a miracle and, and get so used to it. But focus us. Focus us so that we're free from distractions, so that we can hear your voice, so that we can walk in the way that you guide us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Second John, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus the Father's Son in truth and love. Or rather, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, 
in truth and love. And then John gets into the body of his letter. Listen closely. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is the commandment, or rather, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Lord, help us again as we listen to you and as we try to understand your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I only have two main points this morning from our passage, but I want to remind you up front that these are the main points. So there's, there's a whole lot more, but only two main points, and here they are. Number one, God wants us to progress in the truth as followers of Jesus Christ. God wants us to progress in the truth. And secondly, God wants us to practice the truth in the way that we love one another. All right? So God wants us to progress in the truth, and he wants us to practice the truth. And before the day ends, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody who knows you very well. And I want you to look at them and ask them the following question. So if you're Will, Will might say to Kristen, what seems really important to me? What seems really important to me? Based on what you know of me, what would you say is most important to me? Now imagine this. Suppose we were to ask those in this city here in Richmond, Virginia, who are, let's just say, the most non-religious people you can think of. What if we were to ask them, based on what you know to be true of Christians and churches, what seems most important to them? What do you think they would say? How many people do you think would include the words truth and love in their answer? Okay. What if we were to just ask each other this morning in the room? What if I were to change the, the survey just a little bit and ask the following question? Which of these is more important to God? That Christians would continue in the truth? That Christians would walk in the truth? Or that they would show love to other people? How do you think that survey would turn out? In our experience, that usually tends to split the room in half. But here's the first thing I want us to see. Look at verse 4 and look at verse 5. I am, I am hopeful this morning, and we are praying that by the time we go through verses 4 through 6, we will all have an opportunity to see clearly that both of these are important to God and they are held out as priorities for the church. Look at verse 4. John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were, what? commanded by the Father. Now, what is being commanded by the Father here? Walking in the truth. It's a priority to God. And in the very next verse, he reminds us of another commandment. It's not new. You've heard it all the time from the very beginning. This is that commandment that we, everybody, love one another. Do you see that both of these are commanded by your God? Is anything bold or highlighted or underlined in your Bible? 
Both of these are held out by God as priorities for the church at all times, in all places. The Bible knows nothing about a version of Christianity that emphasizes truth at the expense of love. And likewise, this, this is probably more important for me to say for this group, the Bible knows nothing about a version of Christianity that emphasizes truth, or rather love, at the expense of truth. Both of those are imposters. And many deceivers have gone out into the world. There are many people who, who have started and run churches who will tell you all that matters is that we love other people. And then they fill in the blanks of, of what that means. Truth doesn't matter. And then there are some people who, you may, they probably don't say it, but you hang around them long enough and you realize that's all they care about is truth. Okay, so we as pastors want you to remember, and we want ourselves to remember that this is not what God has for us. He, he actually emphasizes both of those, and those are both supposed to be priorities for us at all times, wherever he finds us in this world. Are you with me there? All right, now having said that, that's just a preface. Let's go now back to verse 4. Let's go to verse 4 and let's walk through this one verse, really one phrase at a time, all right? And let's, let's see what God wants to teach us there. The first thing is we think about God wanting us to progress in the truth that I want to point out from verse 4 is found in that word walking. John rejoices here greatly because he found some Christians who were walking in the truth. See, that word walking indicates a kind of progress, does it not? You're, you're slowly but consistently moving in a particular direction. You're going somewhere. Hopefully, you're going where you're supposed to be going, right? But you're, you're walking in the truth. You're not just following your own opinions or your own desires. You're walking in the truth, yes? And you're making progress that way, all right? So God wants us to progress in the truth. The thing that was so encouraging to me as I looked at this word walking was it kind of speaks to the usual and expected pace of our progress as Christians. It's true, sometimes in the Bible, the, the, the Christian life is described as a race that we run. You can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, toward the end of that chapter, or again in Hebrews chapter 12, at the beginning of that chapter. But so often, it's referred to as a walk. A walk in the truth. All right, and so the usual pace of our progress is not always fast. It's more... It's more crockpot than microwave, right? You get the idea. That might be the last kitchen analogy I ever tried. The response to that one was not good at all, but that's all right. That's all right. But you get the idea, all right? And, and so I was thinking about this, and I thought, man, I've been walking with Christ now for 20-plus years. Why don't I sense more patience with my children at bedtime? Like, what, what, is, what is wrong with me? Have you, you ever heard of this guy named Jim Gaffigan, this comedian? Some of you have heard of Jim Gaffigan. Man, I, I, I love, go, just Google that if you've not heard of it. Just type in Jim Gaffigan, bedtime is a crisis. Just, just, just type that in. He's got four kids at last count. I don't, I don't know how many now, but he was five now. He was talking about bedtime and he said, man, this thing is like a hostage negotiation. <laughs> o only in reverse, you know, a hostage negotiation. We're trying to get people out of the room it's like, bet, man, just stay in there. Man, stay in that room when we put you in there. Something happens to me at 8.30. For Cinderella, it was midnight. For me, it's 8.30. I just I become a different person. Stay in that room. Don't come out. I will see you tomorrow. I love you. Just take my word for it. <laughs> you know? 
But it, it's, uh, I, listen, at, at 8.30 at night, I often find reasons to be disappointed with myself in my walk with Christ, my lack of patience, right, which is a fruit of the Spirit. But here, I, I've also learned to take encouragement at those, at, at those times. Because if I compare myself to who I am today, right, or, or compare that person to who I was 20 years ago, there really is progress, you know, in a lot of different areas, in a lot of different ways. And, and no, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be in some things, and you can all probably say that about yourselves as well. But, but there has been real progress, you know, and, and, and that's something to celebrate. So we thank God for that, and, and, and hopefully you're experiencing that. Even if you're the most pessimistic Christian in the room, you can find reason to rejoice that God is making progress in your life and you're going in the right direction. So that's, that's one of the first things I want to point out from verse 4 that was encouraging to me. Something else I want to point out is, find, is found in that early phrase, rejoiced greatly. Let's look at verse 4 again. John says here that he rejoiced greatly when he found these people walking in the truth. So he's celebrating what he sees here, yes? You can see that even more clearly in 3 John verse 4. He, he's speaking about Gaius there. Uh, and he wrote a letter to Gaius that we'll come to in, in, in a few weeks but, or a couple weeks. He said, I rejoice to hear and I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. All right, so he's celebrating something about the present direction of the lives of these Christians. Now, follow this. What that means, the fact that he's celebrating this means that he does not want the, the current trajectory or the current direction of their life to change. They're walking in the truth and he wants that to continue. Right? In other words, these Christians that John is talking about are going to make progress in the Christian life precisely by not changing something. Now, I, and I want you to hear, hear me out here. This is really important for us today. When you read the letters in the New Testament, you'll find the apostles always touching on various ideas that are popular in the culture at that time and showing how those ideas are different than the truth as God reveals it to us. And they try to steer them away from those deceptive ideas and they, they try to steer them into the path of truth. All right? And so that, that's what I'm doing here because if you listen to a lot of the conversations going on today, there's lots of talk about progress to, to the point where many people, even in the church, will embrace that label as an identity. I am a progressive, right? Are you all aware of this or am I just speaking to, to people who have never heard this before? Okay. Some would say I am a conservative, you know, but I, I try to stay away from labels like that. I try to say I'm a Christian who happens to agree more with this particular side on this particular issue. I am a Christian who tends to agree more with this particular side on this particular issue. I try to stay away from permanently attaching myself to either label. Right? And, and here's what I want to point out today. As God speaks about progress and how Christians are to understand that and how we are to seek that, notice, notice what we're seeing here. Here are some believers who need to continue without changing their current direction in order to truly make progress. So you and I have to always remember that change, just because we change something, change does not always lead to progress. And progress does not always require change. Now, sometimes progress requires exactly that, that we change something. And, and look, there's some stuff that just isn't the way it should be, and it needs to change. Okay? And, and we've made progress in some areas as a society and as churches, and we need to continue to have the courage to make changes where those changes are called for by God. 
But there are times where progress is actually facilitated precisely by not changing anything. Think, think about this. Suppose I were going to Disney World from Richmond, Virginia. I would hop on I-95 and go what direction? South, hopefully, right? There's no guarantee with me behind the wheel. But south is where we would want to go. And if I were going south toward Disney World, toward Orlando, Florida, I would be making progress. If I simply changed something for change's sake and changed my current direction, I would not be making progress. I would be doing the exact opposite, correct? However, suppose I mistakenly got on I-95, and this could happen, and I started going north, trying to get to Disney World. Do you realize that the most progressive person in that car at that time is the one who says we need to stop and go backward with regard to our current direction? If you listen to people today, do you ever get the sense that sometimes progress is facilitated by going back to something we, we left? But sometimes, folks, that's exactly what progress requires. If we were mistaken about a direction that we chose to go in at any point throughout history, if there was anything that was the right path and we turned away from it and started going the wrong way, the most progressive person is the one who says, let's stop and go backward. So I want us to remember this as Christians. We have to allow God's word and God's wisdom to define these things for us so that we're not just foolishly jumping on to a cause or a movement that we don't, we're, we're Christians and we allow the voice of God to define us, right? Change does not always lead to progress. Progress does not always require change. And lo and behold, sometimes progress is actually facilitated by going back to something we previously left. It all depends on what we are talking about. So I want us as a church, and I know we want this for you as pastors, we want to be a church that thinks about these things, that listens to God before we just jump into or launch into this conversation, especially before we, we jump on the bandwagon of, of modern ideas, okay? So God wants us to progress in the truth. One more thing from verse 4 I want to point out. One more thing I want to point out, and you can find it in the word some. John says here, I rejoiced greatly to find everybody, some of your children walking in the truth. Now, I should point out, to be fair, here, I do not think John is saying I observed the whole church, I looked closely at their lives, their habits, their customs, and I found that everyone in this section is walking in the truth, but, but this section not so much. I don't think that's what John is saying. I think what John is saying is he had an opportunity to observe a certain number of people who were from this church, and he said, ah, maybe I, I met five of them, and all of them seem to be walking in the truth. Man, that is so encouraging to me. And he writes this letter and says, ah, I found some of your children walking in the truth, I was so encouraged by that. It was an occasion of, a, of great rejoicing for me. I think that's what John is talking about, right? I have no reason to believe he's, he's saying only some were walking in the truth and others were not. However, I think it's good for us to take what John is saying here and apply it to another situation that you and I face a lot in this life, especially as we walk with Christ for quite some time. What, what happens when you and I look at our children biological, adopted, fostered, uh, or even as John speaks here, spiritual children, right? People whose faith in Christ was born maybe out of the influence of our ministry or, or at least significantly strengthened by the influence of our ministry. When we look at our children, 
What happens when we observed what I will call mixed results? Only one is walking in the truth, and others are not. Only two or three are walking in the truth, but, but one of them is not. Right? Because some of us, praise God, have families where all of our children are walking in the truth. Some of us, most of us, I, I think, as I, as, I, as I hear back from you, are at the current moment living with what we would call mixed results at the other end of our prayers and efforts. What do we do? Are we able to do what John does here? Are we able to rejoice greatly that some, one, two, are we able to rejoice greatly that some of our children are walking in the truth even if what we're seeing is less than 100% of what we would want, right? Are we able, as John says here, to rejoice greatly nonetheless? And, and are we able to still sense that hope in our heart if the final word has not been written on that one son or that one daughter's life. If the final word has not been written and there's still time and opportunity for God to move and to work and to turn that heart around, are we still able to sense that hope right alongside the sadness that is understandable, that should be there, right alongside the tears? Are we able to still say, God, I know you hear me. Please, please turn this one around, please. I'm so grateful, God, for those who are walking in the truth, but this one, please, right? That's where we want to be. We want that hope that belongs to the truth that this, there's, there's still time and opportunity for this one. And, and we don't want to overlook the grace of God that is allowing and causing some to walk in the truth. Let me take a moment. We're not finished, but let, let's pray real quick for that in our lives, that we might, might see that kind of heart in ourselves. Lord, I have so much trouble with this. I think I know anyone who's a parent understands this. We, we just, we tend to look at, uh, at, at a, a situation where we have multiple children or whatever the case is, and all of our energies seem to go toward the one that's having the hardest time. All of our focus, and I, I'm sure a part of that is, is right and guided by you. At the same time, I'm asking that you would help us to rejoice greatly over the miracle of grace that we have observed in you in some of our children. And I also pray that you would grant us the hope that we should have when we consider that there's still time and opportunity in, in, in the case for some of our children. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so God wants us to progress in the truth, all right? And I'm, I'm looking at the time, and I think he wants us to progress in this message as well. So go, go to verse 5. And you can see there the Apostle John moves on, and he says, And now, dear lady, I ask you, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Nothing new, just what you've been hearing from the beginning, that we love one another. I alluded to this, but one of the, one of the things that is most characteristic of healthy Christians and healthy churches and healthy ministries is that we're not always trying to find something new. We're not always trying to push a new trend. You know, here, here's this new idea blowing through the church. And if your church latches on to this idea, it'll catapult you to the next level of, of Christianity. Now, I'm, I'm not into that. I want to hear over and over again what we've always heard from the beginning. Did you catch that from John? He said, look, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. Verse 6, 
that we walk in his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning. Do you see that repeated phrase? Christianity that is healthy tends to be like this, a reminder of what we have always heard from the beginning. I love coming here and listening to Robert Greene every single week, and he talks and talks and talks about what it is he's hoping for us, and he, he often talks about, look, I want you to live life that can be described this way, ordinary faithfulness with a long-term view, yeah? I love that. Ordinary faithfulness with a long-term view. Nothing sensational, and eh, it's not gonna make the press it's, it's like walking, nothing, nothing you know, impressive about that. You're just, you're just going in the direction you should be going. It looks very ordinary, but it's going to get you there. One day at a time. That's, that's what we're after here. Ordinary faithfulness with a long-term view. Now, it's not going to impress anybody. You're not going to, no time soon are you going to turn on a TV when the Summer Olympics are on and see a 100-meter walk. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Nobody's impressed by that. But man, it, walking in the truth gets us where God wants us to go. Ordinary faithfulness with a long-term view. That's what we are about here. And if you look at verse 5 in particular, he says, look, I'm not giving you anything new. Here is the command that we love one another. And then John, it's like he knows our tendency. He knows our tendency to hear that word love and then to immediately say, okay, I know what that is. to supply our own idea of what love is and to put it in place right there. And he says, look, look, before you do that, verse six, this is love. Before you supply your own definition and understanding of what God says when he says that we should love one another, he says, and this is love. That we walk according to, everybody, his commandments, not our own desires, not our own opinions, but his commandments. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. That is the commandment that just as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it because for many deceivers have gone out into the world. See, lots of voices are coming to the church today and saying, no, here's what is, is, is required of. Here's what is expected of Christians. You are to love people, and here is what we mean by that word love. There are voices today inside the professing church and outside the professing, professing church that would tell us to accept a new definition and understanding of love and to apply that to all of our relationships. But the Bible says here, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. So, here's what this means for us as Christians. If we are following Christ, if we are guided by the very voice of God in the scriptures, love is always, always to be understood as that which moves in the direction of the commands of God not the demands of other people. Say that again. Love is always to be understood, defined by, and moving in the direction of the commands of God, 
not the demands of other people, of our contemporaries. Do you all follow that? That is so important. I mean, this is a true story. I'll tell, I, I, some of you have heard me say this at your weddings or at a friend's wedding, but, but true story, it was actually confirmed for me one day by someone who identified himself as an Abraham Lincoln historian. Now, I was pretty impressed by that title. I thought, well, I can actually use this story then. So here's what happened. While he was president, Abraham Lincoln went to speak to a group of high school students, and he asked them a question. He said, class, how many legs does a dog have? And one student said, four, Mr. President. And he said, that's correct. Now, what if you call its tail a leg? Now how many legs does the dog have? And one student said, five, Mr. President. And very quickly, Abraham Lincoln looked at that student and said, no, that's wrong. This is, this is back before people were quickly offended by the word wrong. He said, that's wrong. <laughs> the correct answer is four. And then he went on to explain something that is so important for us to understand today and to apply to many things. He said, a tail is a tail. And just because you decide to call it a leg, it doesn't all of a sudden make it one. See, you can use the very same word that God uses here in verse 5 when he says love. You can use the very same word to describe your growing feelings for that man or that woman who happens to be married to somebody else. But just because you call it love doesn't all of a sudden make it so. See, you, you might be demanding approval from certain people who are important to you. You might be saying things like this, if you really loved me, you might use that word, if you really loved me, you would approve of the path that I've chosen for myself without any real discussion about what that path is. You could be right depending on what you're talking about. But in the very same breath, you could be asking even a Christian, you could be looking at a Christian and asking them to approve of something that the commands of God say we must not approve of. It all depends on what you're talking about. And you might use the word love there to describe this approval that you're demanding, but just because you use the word love and call it love doesn't automatically make it so. Love always moves in the direction of the commands of God, not the demands of, our, of other people or even of ourselves. That is so important for us to remember today as Christians. Because again, Many deceivers have gone out into the world and are demanding that we accept this new definition and understanding of love. And I'm telling you, do not let it happen to you. We must hold to what we have always heard from the beginning because that is where the true love of God is seen and, and displayed. That's where it's understood. Are you all with me? I mean, you might not be, but you feel like you should say yes. I can tell. Some of you are genuinely with me. This is so important. And maybe, listen, maybe you heard that a while ago and you're thinking, I, he didn't say it, but I kind of know what he's talking about. 
I intentionally didn't get specific. I trust the Holy Spirit is able to, to bring to our minds different things that fall into the category of this discussion. But, but look, as difficult as it is for us to look at family members and other people who are really dear to us, who, who may be seeking or even demanding a certain kind of approval for, for whatever it is they have chosen or whatever it is they've discovered. or Love, if we're talking about what heaven is, is defining as love, love never departs from that direction of the commands of God. True love, I, I, and, and here's, here's the promise I'm holding out to you. This is what I believe. I believe that if you give this thing a shot, if you actually trust God more than these contemporary ideas and voices, I am, I am betting, not, I'm not a betting person, but, but I, look, look, I am standing with complete faith that if you and I will simply endure along this path of trusting God, that in due time, he will show that this was the best way to love people, even if they didn't understand at the moment. I, I believe that with all my heart. I, I do not believe that other people have figured out a better way to love the people that God has made than God himself. I don't believe that for a second. That's why I do this. I don't, I don't hate anybody. Yes, that's true. I, I don't think I hate anybody. But I, I, will, I will tell you, because of the stance that I take on certain issues, I have been called very hateful simply for disagreeing with various ideas. And I think it's an unfair label. But if, if that is part of the suffering I must endure in today's culture in order to be faithful to Christ, I rejoice greatly that I can suffer in that way for the sake of his name. And I wait patiently for him to reveal to whoever would label me in that way that that's not what's going on here. But I want to be there. I want to be, when it's finally time and someone, someone has been moved in their hearts to see Jesus for who he truly is, I want, I want to be like that tree in the story with Zacchaeus. No one talks about the tree. But I want to be planted. I want to be found in that same place so that when it's time for someone who wants to finally see Jesus for who he really is, they can climb up on the example of that consistency and finally see him. Right? And, and, and the opportunity to serve God and serve someone who's seeking the truth in that way is worth decades of scorn, if you ask my opinion. That's what this is about. So other people will misunderstand us and, and Christians like me. I don't want you guys to misunderstand. That's what we're talking about here. Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's, that's the heart you're hearing. That's what we need. Right? God wants us to endure in the truth. He wants us to progress in the truth. He wants us to practice the truth in the way that we love one another. And he wants to make sure that we always allow him to define that for us. And there's another place in your Bibles where God has spoken through the Apostle John. And he said, this is love. Look at 1 John chapter 4. And we're beginning to close, which as you know is different from actually closing. But we are beginning to close. He said in 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, in this is love. 
Not that we have loved God. So again, you don't, if you really want to understand love and get the best picture, you don't look at human beings like us for the start of that answer. You might see a good reflection at times in that, but you don't go there for your answer for what love really is. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, or if you have a new international version there, it'll explain it for you a little bit, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In this is love, in this act, and he begins to speak about the cross. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross of Jesus Christ is set forth as the best and clearest picture of what love truly is. And when, when God comes later in the Bible, like it does in, in 2 John, and commands that we would love one another, that love, when heaven uses that word, what we are talking about is something which grows out of and flows from the cross of Christ. Whatever other people may mean when they use that word, when heaven speaks, this is what we mean. The outgrowth of, something which grows out of and flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, look at your Bibles at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. You'll see something there that's, that's important and helpful. In 1 John 4, 19, the Bible says here, we love because he first loved us. Do you see that? His love for us is the cause of our loving one another, our love for other people. So, so the latter causes the former in this. We love because something has caused the love that we show. We love because he first loved us. The love that we are talking about when we say God wants us to practice the truth by the way we love one another, that love, when we use that word, means that this is a love that must be received before it can be given. Do you see that? You cannot love other people in the way heaven uses that word until you receive it from God first. We love because he first loved us. That is our motive. That is our reason. That is the power behind what he's asking us to do. So here's my question as we close. Have you received this love from God through Jesus Christ on the cross? Have you received this love for yourself? Have you walked in the truth to the foot of the cross where the Savior died in the place of sinners? Where a transaction was met between Him and our Heavenly Father? Where He offered up His perfect and sinless life for sinners as a payment? As a payment for all the sins you and I have committed? Have you received Him as your only hope of forgiveness? Have you trusted that what he did will benefit you for all of eternity if you stop going north in the direction of your own ambitions and desires and opinions? But come to the cross and realize that the command is to stop, to turn, to repent is the Bible's favorite word for that. To turn around, to look upon Christ, to receive the love of God in the cross. Have you Come to Jesus that way. Have you believed that what he did was done for you? Have you trusted in him? 
Have you laid your life down there and have you said, Lord, I, I am here to receive you on your terms and not my own? That is the beginning of us being able to do anything called love. Receiving the love of God before we give it. That opportunity, I talked about having time and opportunity. That opportunity is here for every single one of us this morning. Cody, it doesn't matter how young you are. You, or it doesn't matter if you're as old as your dad, right? It doesn't matter. I'm Eric. <laughs> it doesn't matter where we are. That opportunity is here for us right now. Will you receive Jesus Christ? I, tell, I say this all the time. My wife will ask me a lot of times, do you want to help me make the bed? Do you want to help me wash the dishes? Do you want to help me straighten up this living room? Do you want to help me? Do you want to? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Not for one minute do I want to help you do that. No. I told you, I'm, I'm going slowly here. This is, this is like a crock pot that needs to be retired, my progress in these areas. No, so my wife has learned to ask me a different question. She will say, fine, will you help me do this? And she appeals to my will. She looks right into, she reaches into the heart of that Christian man and says, you're not a very good person. <laughs> but I know something about the God who lives inside you. He's moving you in a particular direction and you should love your wife in very practical and tangible ways right now. And she says, will you? Help me do this. And all of a sudden, I'm reminded of who I am by the grace of God. I, listen, I'm not asking you if you want to receive Christ this morning. I'm saying, will you? Lord, help us. Help us this morning to either continue walking in the truth and making progress that way in the truth to practice the truth by the way that we love one another, knowing how you define that for us. Or, Lord, if we have come in this morning never having received Christ for our forgiveness, I pray that we would find it in ourselves, that those who came in like that this morning would find it in themselves now by your grace to say, I will receive Christ. I need to. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.